Pod, 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 Pod. Rugby Pod. Hello and welcome back to the Rugby Pod. I'm Andy Ryan, Big Jim and Gertie are with me as usual. We'll be looking ahead to a huge weekend in round three of the Guinness Six Nations, as well as rounding up the weekend's premiership action. Plus, we'll be catching up with former Wales skipper Ryan Jones ahead of the big England v Wales clash and the finest mullet in rugby, Shane Byrne. So settle back, enjoy and make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. How's your week been, lads? No, Andy Rove, this is not how's our week been. <laughs> How the hell are you? You're in New Zealand. You're now a married man. One, does it feel different? Two, any regrets? Or three, how was the wedding? Answer them in any order you want to. Congrats, first and foremost. Congrats, yeah. Thanks, guys. She turned up and she said yes. That's a win, right? Yeah, she turned up and she said yes, which was yeah a matter of re- relief, not regret. Almost <laughs> regret. Maybe a regret for her. <laughs> <laughs> I am dusty. I'm dusty. It's been it's been five days. Uh, all the you know the grooms have been arrived early because we haven't seen each other for a while. So. It was a, they arrive on a Tuesday, couldn't keep off it until, you know, the wedding on a Saturday. So a few big days, a few big days after the voice is feeling a bit croaky, but hey, it's good to see you guys. Ah, oh, it was a Chinese wedding then, was it? Kicking the <laughs> ass out of it. <laughs> Five days, lads, women. One woman, yep. Were they acting weird or not? They're acting so weird. At the start or the beginning or throughout? Every day. All throughout, every single day. It was awesome. I was, I was riding my element. That's the thing, isn't it? Because Kiwis are a little bit weird, aren't they, Jim? And Andy Rowe, you and your mates are a new level of weirdness. You, don't, you ain't called the weird fish for no reason, right? Exactly. It's funny, especially when you get a few beers into each other. Some of the boys... Um, started eating cat food. Yeah, we started. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> so your entrees are ready. Uh, cat food is on the way out. <laughs> Four pudding, we've got the cat litter tray. Full of shit. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Yeah, that was good. That was a bloody good weekend. All right, enough about you. <laughs> Congratulations, mate. Well done. How's your week been, lads? Yeah, Jim, how are you, mate? Because um, you you weren't the best last week, were you, Sam? I'm better now. I was, I mean, I don't know how, the people listening, but my goodness me, you talk about fronting up and you talk about cup finals and thinking about all these things that I never did but should have done. Last Monday was a cup final for me. It was head down in Chinatown and it was the Chinatown that got me. Me and the missus have been going back and forth. There's been a bit of arguing. I'm showing her that white plastic thing that's got two lines on it, trying to get out of looking after the kids. She ain't seeing it. She ain't seeing two <laughs> lines. And I'm telling her, there's two lines there. Ha ha, now she's got it, and I can't see two lines. So we're going back and forth saying, there's two lines, there ain't two lines with mine. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Yes, there is. No, there's not. Now she's got two lines. I can't see them. So I ain't seen the kids in two weeks is what I'm trying to say. So <laughs> so you're full of beans. I'm full of beans. I'm better. Yeah, it's been a, a gnarly few weeks, but I'm actually glad that I've got it out of the way with Andrew. You're a sitting duck, mate, and you're a big duck at that. You're a sitting duck, mate, waiting for it to come your way. Mate, some of us are just a bit tougher than others, Jim, you know? Oh, mate, there's, there's not about being tough. I'm bulletproof. I said, like, I'm like an armadillo with a big tail. Have they got tails, armadillos, or not? Yeah. Yes, they do, James. They do? Okay, well, yeah, I'm like an armadillo with a tail. And <laughs> I am now, what they say, bulletproof. As we go into the future, I am bulletproof. We've got holidays lined up, and we're not through it yet. There's six of us in the house, remember? And a dog. I don't know if dogs can get it or not, but either way, he's getting swabbed up the arse just to see because we don't we don't want him going out <laughs> infecting cats, do we? Because he loves cats. But yeah, I am feeling full of beans. That's why I'm talking a load of jargon and a load of rubbish again. And the sun's out, actually, in Scotland, which is a rarity. 
So it's all good. It's all go from my side, Andrew. And look, I know where you're going with this. You're a bit quiet today. You're a bit dusty. You had late night on Saturday, burning the candle. You sent me a picture of the bill. It was very expensive. Did you have a good weekend? Uh, I did. I had a work-free weekend, but I'm just going to rewind quickly because we go back a week and it was Valentine's Day. We talked about a, a bit of romance and you said that you needed somehow to get close to Beck because you'd been distancing yourself from her for a while because you had coronavirus or possibly had COVID, whatever you want to call it. And you said you were just going to suck a toe. Can you pass it by sucking a toe? So you've obviously passed it over to her by sucking a toe. There's a new strain. No, no, no. She was sucking my toe. It's the other way around. Wow. <laughs> Not just any toe, the Mauler's toe. Hang on, Andrew. You eat cat food and cat litter trays. What are you talking about? This is like... You wear your socks at the beach because you're scared of your toes. Very true. That's very true. I don't know if anyone else wears socks down the beach, but I'm that embarrassed that I wear socks down the beach. Yeah. It's, uh, it's a German look. That's as good. But no, we've not been that close. It's been floating around for a few days and... You know, we'll, we'll get close again. We're going on holiday again in April, aren't we? Let the robbers know. Yeah, I had a work-free weekend, James, which was quite nice because we've been busy. We're busy again this week. But yeah, Friday, Saturday, Sunday, absolutely nothing on, which was great. So family time. Saturday, we went trampolining, took the kids trampolining. Obviously, I watched because I don't want to scare people. Actually, my ankle was absolutely fucked, so I can't trampoline anyway. Trampolining out of any exercise, I don't know how many people have been trampolining that have played rugby. I can't think of a worse exercise to do than trampolining. Genuinely, in terms of pain. Every bounce is pain. Not, not, <laughs> hey, not every bounce. Not every do, bounce. Do, do, do. Uh, but the, the bounce on the trampoline, it's all pain. Yeah, but then Saturday night, it was, uh, so it was the missus' birthday, so we went out to uh, dinner with some friends. And we said, I had a driver, I said, look, be there for around half 12. We'll definitely be done by then. We've gone out into Mayfair. Frankie Betty's? Uh, no, Sexy Fish, actually, we were at on uh, Saturday evening. Similar. Yeah, very similar to Frankie Betty's. On Barclay Square there, and I just kept pushing him back and back and back. Got home about 3.30 in the morning again. I don't know what it is, Jim. Like I keep making this mistake. Greed. I'll tell you what it is. It's greed. That's it. <laughs> and we've got a live show in Cardiff on Thursday night, so is it going to come back? I've... Yeah, convincing myself I'll be in bed by 11, but my God, Sunday was a tough day. Luckily, the mother-in-law was here, and it was a case of over to you. Just the noise. The kids woke up at half six, and I've been asleep for about three hours. That was it. Well, before we talk about the rugby that's happening on the field this weekend, let's have a look at what's been going on off it, because there's been chat that South Africa was a done deal, that they're joining the Guinness Six Nations. Then there's claims that it's rubbish. What do you guys know? The Daily Mail. That's where it came from, and that Kind of sums it up, does it not? I mean, I like the Daily Mail because it's just a bit of goss, isn't it? And that's literally what it seems to be. But there must be a few arms and some legs growing out of them rumours. But them rumours have been around for a while, haven't they? The the weird thing about it was, I think it was Chris Foy who writes for the Daily Mail and who's quite active on Twitter. He put a tweet out, that's where I saw it, and said that breaking news, South Africa are going to be joining the Six Nations in 2025, was it, or something like that? Yeah, that's what it was, yeah. Yeah, I, I didn't even bother engaging in it. I know there was uproar and people were, you know, building a narrative around why it shouldn't happen. I thought we'd just wait and chat about it on air because it was a bizarre timing to happen really, or even say, but it makes you think there might have been something there. But it's been kibosh now. And as much as I love South Africa, one of my favourite countries, if not favourite country, love the people there, love the team. I don't know what value that adds to the Six Nations, which you could probably say is the strongest tournament we've got in rugby out with the World Cup. I know we've got the Lions and stuff like that, but consistently the Six Nations is great. And the question is around Italy, and we've spitballed it on here, spoken about it. 
give them a couple of years. What's the point in them getting to where they've got to now in terms of their under-20s doing well, everything we spoke about last week, bringing in Kieran Crowley, the profile of their team. It's a European competition. Gouda, you mentioned it last week. I'm all for pro- promotion relegation and looking at a Romania or a Georgia or a Portugal or whatever, having a, a game to see at the end of the tournament against Italy. It's not going to be Scotland, could be England. Against Italy, who finished bottom of the Six Nations to see who could potentially come up. I like that idea. It's a European competition. I mean, I, I, maybe I'm going back on myself a bit. There's clearly something there from the powers that be, the relationship with CVC and rugby now. But I think the proofs in the interaction around it and from what I saw people weren't happy yeah I think when, when you look at it and obviously the provinces are playing in the URC aren't they so uh, I think people are looking at that as a natural progression they're playing in sort of the northern hemisphere they're, they've gone away from playing super rugby we saw super rugby start again this weekend and it had Australians New Zealand teams and Fijian team and a Pacific Nations Ireland team as well didn't it so you know South Africa have gone from that they're obviously up playing in the URC they're obviously trying to push it financially South Africa are struggling nationally in terms of the revenues that are around the game and, and the support for the provinces so they need to try and it's probably them pushing that that rhetoric a bit really but I did like the Six Nations came out straight away and said we've got no intentions of it and the facts around it are the Springboks are signed up to the Rugby Championship until 2024 at the minute as it stands. And there's obviously a, a huge issue with Sanzar uh, along the lines of what's happened with the Super Rugby teams being sort of pushed away and playing the URC now. So, you know, it, it's a question, isn't it? Now, would South Africa leave the Rugby Championship? They've actually done so much to help Argentina uh, over the past few years. So for them to walk away and I think very much we need and it's all around the global season so you need to align two competitions and there'd be a European competition which is the Six Nations I'm with Jim promotion relegation game should be the next change but then you have the the rugby championship and you expand the rugby championship to include Japan to include either Fiji or the Pacific Islands as a as a whole or Tonga you know get one of them in there alongside South Africa and Argentina then you've got two unbelievable tournaments southern hemisphere northern hemisphere you perhaps look at a game if you can find space in this global calendar that's not changing yet to, for the two champion teams to play each other. But again, the biggest revenue generator is the World Cup every four years. So the more you play around and mess around with the competitions, the less valuable actually the World Cup becomes. You know, There was something in the press a few weeks back saying, let's play the World Cup every two years. Ridiculous. Because it devalues a, a World Cup. And again, the conversation is always going to be around this global season, which is what the Six Nations have come out and said with CVC and everyone. That's the focus for them at the minute, trying to look at the July and November test windows and a global season where everything fits together. Well, I'll tell you what is going to happen this weekend. England-Wales, Twickenham, the big one. Tualangi coming back into the starting 15, Goody, do you think? Yes, yes, please. When Manu's fit and he's proved his fitness, I joked on here last week about I didn't necessarily think he should be parachuted back into the team because I wanted him for a QA. and I've now replaced him for the q and I've been messaging Manu. He says he's fit. Any England fan, and probably most fans around the world, if Manu Tuolangi is fit, you want to see him playing international rugby, don't you? Because there's a ridiculous point of difference to him around how he plays. You know, England are still looking for a centre partnership. I think our best centre partnership is Henry Slade and Manu Tuolangi, and I think they proved that a little bit last year. For me, 
the excitement of Marcus Smith dancing around and having Manu Tuolangi as an option, having Henry Slade as an option as another ball player as well. Manu's got to go straight back in for me. You know, he, he can terrorise defences and create a lot of space for other players just by with his presence. So uh, I'd love to see him involved. And I'd love to see, you know, Wales going to have a, a very good back line and we'll get into the nitty gritty around the teams at some point. You know, Wales are, people look at them and think they're struggling. They absolutely smashed Scotland last week. But they have got some world-class players in that back line. So whether Wales go sort of Nick Tompkins and Watkin in the centres or they go Halla Hollow if he's fit. You've got Jonathan Davis as well. They're all quality centres. So for me, Manu Tuolangi comes straight back in and he will be at his destructive best, no doubt about it. It's one of them where if you're Manu, and we're speaking frankly, he ain't got much time left, has he? So what is the point in waiting for him to play another couple of games and play maybe one game at the end of the championship world cups in two years who knows everyone knows that the england wales game is a huge game it's a one-off game in the middle of the tournament uh how it lies now a couple of weeks off and you want to see the best players on the field and the only people that are going to be annoyed about this is probably sale i imagine sale aren't going to be overly happy in the fact that manu's obviously signed for sale he's been injured for a large part of that when he plays he's well, he is. He's the best player on the field. And we've seen that with how long he's been out. His game against Harlequins when he came back and absolutely blitzed Esterhazen. Sailor going to be annoyed, but as much as I love Al Sanderson, I love Manu and I love Rugby more. And seeing him in a white shirt again with everything that he's been through, I, I think it needs to happen. And I think if England want to do something, they ain't got any players like Manu. Especially now that Mako and Billy Vanapola are not in the squad, they're lacking, and they've got X-Factor in Marcus Smith, but they're lacking... That's special X Factor. And there ain't anyone better in the world, I don't think, than Manu Tuolangi. Everything you read, everyone you speak to. I've been sat down by the young lad myself. I thought he was still in a nappy. He probably was, and he sat me down. <laughs> he's a one-off. He's a, he's a phenomenon. And I, I, I want to see him back play for England because that's where he belongs on the big stage. So if you sail, you're slightly pissed off, I imagine, just because there's a risk of him getting injured. It's a test match. The way that he plays, his injury profile... And I feel for Goody a bit with a Q&A. Who have you got now? Who have you gone for? i got Matt Dawson instead, so uh, very similar stature. Who starts at scrum half? Harry Randall or Ben Youngs? Yeah, I, I mean, for me, this is, you know, Jim and I are both reasonably close to the Youngs family over the last however many years. And the story of what Tom's been through with, with Tiff and obviously Ben supporting him. We spoke about that last week, I think. I think you've got to start Ben Youngs. It's his 115th cap. It breaks the record of the most capped men's international player ever in Jason Leonard. Jason Leonard's on 114. Um, he equaled it last week and we talked about it then, didn't we? I think with everything that he's done in an England jersey, and listen, at some point, Harry Randall or a Rafi Quirk is going to overtake him. It's it's natural, right? There's a progression there. You know, Ben Youngs will want to go to a World Cup and then that will probably be him in an England jersey. But I think you've earned the right. With 114 appearances behind him, the 115th to lead that team out, breaking Jason Leonard's record. You know, you're going to get a stand ovation. I, I think it'll be a phenomenal thing for him on the day. And yeah, you, you're kind of looking at selection in a different way. Then I, I think you, you've earned the right to start in your record-breaking game. He's playing well as well. Let's you know, let's not forget his form's pretty good, isn't it? You know, he's he's a Leicester team that's top of the league. You know, he's had some good impacts. His kicking's great. You know, and then you look at Harry Randall. Or it probably will be Harry Randall on the bench, but bring him off the bench to to add in a bit of spark. Goody nailed it. And without being too harsh on Harry Randall, who I think is potentially the next person to come through. You've got Alex Mitchell as well, playing well at Northampton. There's no one really that close to Ben Youngs, apart from, I think, Danny Kerr. Like I watched him yeah. play for Quinns at the weekend. He's up at that level. It's bizarre that he's still not in around that. 
And as we said, it's a one-off game within the Six Nations. And I say that because there's a week off next week. There's a fallow week after the weekend's game. So it's all out. Put your very best team, your most experienced team out there against Wales, who are going to be chomping at the bit. Of course they are. Close to being fully loaded themselves. And yeah, Ben Young's good. He said it, I, I, and we spoke about it last week. Like he said, it's, it, you know, he's he's a class act. Any other changes, Goody, that you'd like to see from an England perspective? Courtney Laws, he gets in the team every week if he's fit. You know, looking at where England can dominate Wales. You know, this is a game I'm looking at it, and people, again, people are probably thinking England should win this. We're at home. Wales are, you know, in the doldrums a little bit, although they did put 50 on Scotland. And it's a game that probably most people, unless you're Welsh, expect England to win. But where we can take them apart, I think personally, is the type five, because they have got a worldy of a backline, Wales have. So, you know, starving that backline of any ball, the type five is somewhere where England need to, you know, really stamp their authority. And obviously, Marrow. You know, he played at six against Italy. So does Mario go back into the second row? Joe Launchbury's knocking around again now in the squad. Uh, but for me, Courtney Laws is the big one. You know, do you play him at, in the second row with with Marrow, or you probably put him at six, you know, and then you've got a real decent line-out option because Wales' line-out is about as good as yours was for Scotland, wasn't it, Jim? So you reckon that line-out somewhere that England will target then? Because I think they're saying 83% Wales have got as a completion rate, which is the worst in the competition. Is that the worst? Wales have always got the worst line out. Did you take them to the cleaners as well, Jim? We took them to the cleaners many a time. <laughs> I'm telling you now, Alan Wynne Jones had no respect, zero respect. I don't know why, but when he came into the line out, he's literally throwing the ball on top of himself. I'm stood next to him. I'm like, no, no, no. I will take that off you. Thank you, Alan Wynne Jones. <laughs> took the ball off him, scrum half to 10, knock on, scrum. That was what happened every <laughs> single time. So. When their backs are against the wall, the line-out functions. When they just rock up, which they tend to do around line-out time, they're awful. And the stats, the proof's in the pudding, isn't it, with it there? They know that England have got a good line-out. The issues that they've got around their line-out is the athletes that they've got, unfortunately, and the experience that they've got in and around that. Will Rowland, Adam Beard as vice-captain, brilliant players, heavy players. Back row that they played against Scotland, quite small, really, when you look at it. You've got Jack Morgan on debut. He's not the tallest. You've got... Basham, not the tallest, but they dominated Scotland at the lineup. So it's a difficult one. England are a different kettle of fish. And I suppose that the conversation will be around the back row, who they choose. If they've got Courtney and Joe Launchbury and Marrow, they've got three unbelievable lineup forwards in there. So um, if Wales are going to win, without stating the obvious, their lineup's got to be on point and their scrum. And that comes down to the question, does Marla start ahead of Genge? Because the scrum against Scotland was very good. And whether you like it or not, Andrew, Scotland have got a good scrum. It's interesting though. You mentioned Marla then. He obviously got released to play for Harlequins at the weekend. He needs to play, did he? Yeah, he played and, and kept Bevan Rodden's squad. I think Marla comes straight back in in terms of in the matchday squad. But looking at Wales, you talk about the line out, their selection in the back row is going to be crucial, I think. Obviously, there's chat around Falatau. He's back in the squad. Does he go straight back in the team at eight? If you pick in Moriarty, who we both really enjoy watching as a player, and you, Jim, I know you're pretty close to them as well. I'd love to see him play at six because he's hard and he goes around banging boys for fun, doesn't he? You know, their line-out options then, are they a little bit limited, Wales, with, with those selections? You know, Falatau isn't a, a necessarily a, a big line-out option, is he, as an eight? Nor is, you know, Moriarty as a six. So, Wainwright, does he come into the picture as a six? So I think he's a really good player. And then, obviously, Basham, who's been banging boys for fun at, at seven, it's a really interesting selection. It's a headache that Wayne Pivak's going to have to sort out because if their line-out doesn't function, they ain't winning that game whatsoever, are they? Well, we can have a chat now with a former Wales captain to get a Welsh perspective on the game now. Ryan Jones joins us. How are you, mate? 
All right, lads. Ryan, Jonesy, Jones, Ryan Jones. We're best mates now. You're coming to the live show on Thursday in Cardiff. How much are you looking forward to it? We're looking forward to having you. Mate, I am looking forward to it. I really enjoyed um, your company in the Scotland game and all that. And I've seen being an avid follower of your social media as well. I'm looking forward to experiencing the Hamilton and good live event as well. Well, they're, they're, they're dangerous. As long as you can drink and sing, mate, you'll be fine. But interesting. I know you said you worked with Jim last week for the Scotland-Wales game. You said you enjoyed his company. It's all smoke and mirrors. He's full of shit. He's now thinking you're his best mate again. Is that is that actually true or is it just Jim's Jimisms? Jimism is he's everyone's best mate. He is, unless, you, <laughs> yeah. unless you were playing against him and he was cheating and standing on you and giving away penalties and stuff. Um, but yeah, well, we're all best mates because we won. So it's fine. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. Guilty as charged. You know, the funniest thing was, good is I walked up into the lounge where uh, Ryan Jonesy was, and it was the captain's lounge, and I could see him looking at me thinking, what the hell are you doing in the captain's lounge? I told him vice-captain against Romania for three minutes, so it, that was enough to convince him. Yeah, no. And how, how's things in Wales? And obviously, there was a bit of pressure after the defeat to Ireland in round one, but then absolutely dominating the Scots in round two. There must be a, a real good feel about the place now. Falatau's back as well this week. And then you're coming over the bridge if it's open again. I don't even know that it's open because of the wind, <laughs> but you might have to go the M50 way. But Twickenham, it's always a massive game, isn't it? There must be a good feeling across Wales, better so than after round one. No, you're either heroes or zeros in Wales, and that's been the case for as long as I can remember. You know, series of defeats and you're the worst team in the world and it all needs ripping up. One victory and you're in line for another championship. And But we know that. We've all experienced that, haven't we? I think... It's been it's been a tough. It has genuinely been a tough period. You know, when Pivac came in with you know these ideas of building upon Gats's legacy and thinking all that was great out of Sean Edwards's sort of defence and Warren Gatland's discipline and his mantra about being fitter and working harder than everyone else and building on on top of it this sort of fantastic attacking game. Well, that that hasn't materialised, and I think you know now people are wondering you know is it going to come with sort of twenty three games into into Wayne's tenure now? So. When are we going to see this? There's been a lot of factors in it, whether it be COVID, whether it be injuries, you know, and we are seeing the likes, the return of the likes of Tulupi Falatau, which is great. So, you know, hopefully, you know, there there is hope there because that's all we that's all we generally want there, hope and a chance. Obviously, the fixture this weekend is, you know, probably the biggest fixture in, in our calendar, as it, as it always is for anyone who plays England, I suppose, really. But, you know, it is that sort of big brother envy. They're the richest playing nation across the world and they live just over the bridge. And, you know, we're go- coming down the M4 in our droves and our tens of thousands to sort of get a result. It's a great place to come and play as well, Twickenham, isn't it? You know, like I, lo- I loved going to Twickenham. I think the atmosphere is great. Love getting off the bus at the gates, walking in through, you know, through the crowds. You know, it's a, again, it's a it's a rugby arena steeped in rich sort of history and heritage. But you know, it's going to be a tough ask. It really, is going to be a tough and But we'll see just where Wales are. You know, this weekend, I think. And before the game, where we're speaking now, where do you think Wales are? Because it's difficult to get a kind of understanding in your better place, not only with your role as captain and playing for Wales for so long, but also your role in the union. There's a lot of question marks, as in, not just from me, uh, this idiot here who speaks on the podcast doesn't know what he's talking about, but a lot of people, like some of your own, Tom Shanklin, I saw some of his comments around the regions. What kind of place is Wales rugby in? I mean, is it going to be a flash in the pan in terms of the emotion and everything that comes for this game against Stingham? I'm just talking about the kind of overall vibe in Wales with rugby at the minute. Yeah, look, I, th- I, th- I think it's a bit of a cr- crossroads. It's tough. Economically, it's tough. You know, I think you know, a, lot, a lot of sports in a similar position, but you know, I, I think no, no more so than, than professional rugby in, in Wales right now. So, you know, with, with that economic constraint comes a whole host of issues, whether it be to do with the pathway, whether it be to do 
development, whether it be retaining talent, whether it be depth in squads, whether it be probably a, a lacking in richness of foreign talent within Wales as well. You know, we see a lot of English Prem clubs and historically Welsh regions and and even the, the, the Scottish teams, you know, thrive and, and sort of prosper from that sort of... Say it, South Africa. Yeah, South Africa talent <laughs> in Scotland. But, you know, that sort of rich history and, you know, that sort of cross-pollination of ideas and all that, all that good stuff. So I, I think that's probably a, a miss within Welsh rugby. I, I do think... It's a, it is tough because what are we now? 18 months out or two years out from a Rugby World Cup, you know, and we talk around now's the time where you want to be pretty settled and building into that if you want to be a real contender on the global stage. I'm concerned that we possibly missed that in Wales at the moment. You know, I don't see, you know, where, where, where we're going to be in two years. I'd say England is slightly ahead of us in that curve and Scotland certainly. You know, Scotland are playing good test match rugby now with some real good talent and guys who are going to peak in various positions. I'm not quite sure on what our identity are and how we settled and which way we're going ahead of that. But I'm sure we'll get there. But again, the, the fixtures like the weekend, uh, Jim, like your Calcutta Cup, aren't they? They're, there's so much in it. They're one-offs, they're big fixtures. It's it's that it's that anomaly weekend in the Six Nations as well. So we've got a two-week run-up to it. So everyone should be fresh. Everyone's battle-ready. Everyone's technically and tactically ready to go. Peak for this one, then you've got two weeks to recover before you go again. So you know, it's a great it's a great spot in the calendar for for us to play England and, you know, who knows? You were involved with the WRU, weren't you? And we're hearing a lot of stuff in, in England around the, the big disparity between the union, the WRU itself and the regions and how they don't really work together so well. What's that about? Is it a money thing? Is it just people pulling in different directions? Yeah, well, it's probably, there's lots of factors in that, Goody. You know, it's right right from the structure. You know, they're, essentially they're autonomous entities, if you like, but are largely reliant on central funding you know and the strength if you like of is is in the is in the collective you know we, we're a relatively small nation we've got a population of three million people all four regions are within what 58 mile of each other or whatever it is 60 mile of the m4 you know there's only two large economies really one east one west so you know the whole resource the talent pool is is split then amongst those four I think the money the money's an interesting one because when you look at relative budgets, you know, they would be comparable, large, just about, you know, there or thereabouts. But undoubtedly there's not enough resource there to service and make genuinely competitive in Europe. You know, you look at so your Leinsters, your Saris, historically, Jim, you know, and obviously not now because they obviously adhere to the salary cap and all that. <laughs> Don't get him on that one. Guilty. <laughs> <laughs> so, you know, there, there's a there's there's some anomalies in there. Then you know, and then you've got that parochial difference, you know, in amongst our 60 mile, we're all different. So you've got the townies in the east and you've got the westies, west of the Lucker Bridge, and there's some fantastic rich history and heritage in that. Well, the answer is, I'm not sure. Well, I, I do know, but I'll, give you, I'll tell you that over a few beers on Thursday. I was that? <laughs> there you go. Dangling the carrot for the people that were thinking about coming that should come. Uh, let's talk about the game then, because it is, I mean, they're all big games, aren't they, in the Six Nations? But there is something special. You mentioned it. Goody's mentioned it before. England versus Wales. Uh, what's the build-up going to be? I mean, Wales in a much better position off the back of beating Scotland in that close game. How do you think they're going to travel down to England or across or up, I don't even know, I can't work out the longitude and latitude, but across to England at the weekend, obviously in a positive mindset after that win. Yeah, it's about 160 miles east for you, Jim, you know, on a basically one road, mate. You have to drive past Swindon, Jim, where you were born. Don't tell anyone. <laughs> uh, look, uh, the, boys will be, the boys will be confident, you know what it's like, you know, you, you, you approach every game the same, that, that's the nature of pro sports and the mindset of, 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 of the athletes they are, you know, so that the prep will be done. They will have taken confidence from that Scotland game, but you know, they, I think Scotland 
threw it away as well. We talked before that game around, could they really live with being the favourites tag, coming to Cardiff? They gave Wales a nine-point head start, as it were, or nine easy points. And, you know, that, that was a bit of a game-changer, really. But Wales will be confident on the back half because they needed that win. You know, they needed a sort of to grind it out, which, which they did. And they showed some fantastic phases of defence. You know, that attack will be an area of concern. You know, are we genuinely creating opportunities I'm not I'm not convinced you know we don't look like we you know we comfortable keeping teams on their heels for for periods of time and we we look like we almost stop playing a bit when we get into the 22 so there's be, be some be some work going on in that place but and then also be dealing with England wouldn't it you know we I mean what looked at them again against Italy what, what I loved was you know you've got Marcus Smith you know he's gone up that line he's got seems to have sort of threats left, right and centre, you know, they're playing dummy runners all over the place. You've got big men carrying it wide. They've got funnies off the line out, which, they, you know, they'll obviously throw it, throw whales. So, you know, they've got threats galore. And, and and I don't think this England team has clicked yet either, you know, and I suppose that, as a, as a travelling fan on Saturday, that'll be the worry that they really get that sort of English pack going, you know, carrying hard. And, you know, once they, once they create a dent, you know, you've got Marcus Smith's on, on our front foot. is such an attacking threat. It's going to be it's really difficult to get back into system and structure and get your composure back. So it's going to be a tough one. Yeah, I think all the Welsh fans will be hoping that Eddie Jones takes Marcus Smith off again, but we won't go there either. Well, and the Tuolagi's not playing. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, you're right. If we get a dent, geez, there's no better 10 in the world at the minute, I think, than um, the pulling the strings to, to score tries. Let's talk about the back row then, your area of expertise, because... It's great to see Talupe Falatel back uh, in the squad. Obviously, Wainwright, I think, is a wonderful player as well. You know, he's tipped to be taken over at number eight from him in terms of long-term roles. Basham's quality. You've got Ellis Jenkins in the mix. Moriarty. Who are you picking at the weekend if you're the coach? I, I think. Look, I think. I think big games need big players. You know, Talupe. I, I didn't see the rugby on the weekend, but reading the reports and you know the, the last he's only been back two weeks, hasn't he? And he's had two big performances and. You know, we saw the impact like Alan Wynn had on his return. You know, the tr- truly great players, world-class players, don't need too many fixtures to get up and running. They very much pick up where they left off. Basham's been superb. It's dynamic. Again, you're coming up against a pretty physical, dynamic English back row as well. So, well, back five, really, you know, because they've got two sort of five and a halves in there as well, and they really almost. So... That breakdown area is going to be key, particularly if you're going after Marcus Smith. The only way to slow him down is going to be to slow the ball he gets because he gets into position so quick. But, you know, I would probably go with a little bit of experience. You know, do you go? Does he go with two sevens? That's an interesting one. Debate and and to Lupe. So, an answer question. I've got a clue, Goody, but you know, <laughs> pick up the answer. So, looking back on your career, obviously some massive games, and you had a lot of success against England, mainly when I played. I think for England, but <laughs> favourite memories from from that, and was there much beef knocking around back in the day up front? Yeah, well, there was a there was a bit of a bit of beef because we had some pretty big fixtures over the years against your Leicester's in the EDF Cup, as it was then. We had some pretty big fixtures against Saris, you know, whether that be at the Principality Stadium or, or or that way in Heineken Cup knockout fixtures. So there was a sort of fair amount of rivalry, you know, in and around that Lions as well, and you know there was largely Welsh and English contingent made up made up that. So there was a bit of sort of bit of edge if you like probably not more so than there ever that was just sort of my experience but you know for me 2008 was the best one so Gats had come in as as a new coach and we'd had Sean Edwards you know who was um, a proud Englishman really you know but he had a real bee in his bonnet around the English rugby team the RFU and all that sort of stuff so going up going up to Twickenham in 2008 having not won there for what 20 something plus years and then t- turning England over by the skin of our teeth really you know 
Hugh Bennett or a hooker for try saving tackling. I think Paul Saki just before half time, which probably would have put us, and you know, in uh, on the back burner. But we just managed to hang in half time, and then we came out second half. We're a different group, growing confidence, and I think that's what we've got to do in Twickenham. It's a funny old place. I think you've got to go there with all, like almost bordering on arrogance and an expectation to win. That's what teams don't do when they go to Twickenham, and I think you've got to you've got to go and do that. It's a partisan crowd, isn't it? You know, like so you've got to try and turn that. So I, you know, and I and I think I think Wales can could do that. But what an amazing place to go and play rugby. There's not many purpose-built rugby stadiums in the world, you know, that have the history and heritage like. Like HQ, as it was, as we call it down in Wales, as you can imagine. But no, it's a, it, it'll be a, it'll be a cracker, I think. So you saying Wales going to do it then? Right, the heart or head. I'll always always back Wales, and I think they if, if they're going to win, they'll they'll grind it out. But I think England will will have too much. I think they'll I think they'll creep, I think they'll sneak a win. I bet you don't say that on Thursday in front of four hundred people in the in the depot. Obviously, you play the crowd, don't you? You know, so. <laughs> Jonesy, talk of playing the crowd before you go. What you like at chopping a pint responsibly? You quick? Yeah, I'll have back myself to have a go. Yeah, there you go. Can't wait. Can't <laughs> wait to see you. Look forward to it, mate. Thanks, Ryan, and best of luck for your guys this weekend at Twickenham. Cheers, guys. Thanks a lot. Thanks, mate. Really appreciate it. Top lad. Yeah, he is. Looking forward to having a beer with him. Actually, or more than one responsibly on on Thursday night. But he's a proper skipper, isn't he? He's good, mate. You forget about his resume sometimes, I suppose, if you're living up in Scotland and don't follow Welsh rugby closely. And it was great to spend a bit of time with him in the captain's lounge at the Principality, um, just surrounded by greatness. And I was there, right, rightfully so, my mum said. Were you, were you there in the captain's lounge because you were with Kelly? Were you carrying Kelly's bags? or Because he actually captained Scotland, didn't he? Kelly said he felt embarrassed being there alone. So I said, well, I Because <laughs> a lot of people said that I should have captained the line. So... I'm happy to walk in there. And then people are like, how many, t- how many times do you captain? And I was captain against India, so I included that. So I said about 13, 14. They didn't say for Scotland. They just asked me a number and I gave them a number. So it was 13, 14 times for anyone that's listening. But I got the feeling that the Welsh demographic didn't understand the Scottish humour. But anyway, <laughs> captain. Skips. Right, let's talk about the other games in the Six Nations then. Jim, how does Scotland go about beating France? Be at 100% plus and hope that France are anything under 85%, speaking frankly. If both teams front up, right, if both teams are at 100% going into this game, France win. Of course they do. Look at the profile of the team and we, we can talk about it until the cows come home. Phenomenal. They are world beaters. They're World Cup winners on their day, if they want to be. It seems to be a bit of a bogey team for France, though. And I think that lies within them probably seeing Scotland as minnows, a team that aren't an England or aren't an Ireland or aren't an All Blacks. And we're not. We're not yet. But we're a bloody good team. And what I'm hoping from this Scotland team, and I'm sure we'll get it, is a reaction. Like we saw Wales beating Scotland because there was a reaction. There's been a couple of weekends off from the Six Nations and... It's, it's going to be tough. Like, of course it is. Like, look at this French team. But we've beaten them away last year in the Six Nations behind closed doors with 14 men. We lost Finn. We beat them the year before, literally the weekend that COVID hit and we all got locked down. So it's a team that we know we can beat. But again, I reiterate my point. The facts are there. If France turn up and they're at 100% and they play the way that they can play and the way that they played against Ireland and Scotland are 100%, 
we're just not as good. We're just not as big. We're just not as powerful. But we know that sport doesn't work like that. We know that rugby doesn't work like that. And a number of things can happen. I hope the conditions are good. I hope we actually see a really good game of rugby because the conditions in Scotland the past few weekends have been shocking. But this is it for, for us, isn't it? Because I fully expect us to beat Italy. No disrespect to Italy. We're going to struggle against Ireland in Dublin. Hold on, Jim. You, you were talking about a Grand Slam a couple of weeks ago. What, what's happened to that? I know. I'm going back to the old me. <laughs> Negative or honest, there's a fine line. There, there, is, there is a fine line. I want Scotland to win. We've got the, the capabilities to win. We really have. I'm talking about form going into this game. France the form team. You could say France the form team in the world at the minute. Yeah. We beat England. We absolutely destroyed England. We dominated them. We <laughs> smashed them. It was just, I mean, it was ridiculous how comfortable we, we played against England and, and <laughs> how comfortable that win was. And then we flat to deceive against Wales. So we're not quite there yet. But for me, how does success look for Scotland in the Six Nations? Well, we need to beat France because, again, to reiterate that point, we're going to struggle against Ireland in the last game of the tournament if we don't beat France because we'll beat Italy. So how do we look at a successful tournament for Scotland? We need to beat France and we need to beat Italy and take us to a tournament decider against Ireland for the last game. But that's the beauty of the Six Nations now. Because of the last games that we've had, it's wide open. So, Scotland by 20. If you're asking me score prediction, because <laughs> I don't think France will turn up. I think they'll just rock up. Wee, wee, wee. See, 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 see. Ça va, c'est pas quen quoi. Uh, Fabian's been all over TikTok dancing with his daughter. He ain't taking us seriously. No, it's a big one, isn't it, for them? Because you go back to the last two games that you mentioned there where Scotland have beaten France. The one up in Edinburgh just pre-COVID was Mohamed Hawass got sent off, didn't he, for punching... Jamie Ritchie. Yeah, and then last time, they had the game won France. You know, The result states that Scotland beat them, and fair play they did. They had the game won, and they did the classic French thing. You're in your own 22. You think you know you need to get a bonus point or win by X amount, and they start chucking it around. Scotland turnover, and was it Duan van der Merwe got the winner? Sean Edwards, I'm telling you now, after that video that you posted on Twitter, Jim... Lean on bar, Carton uh, John, uh, Unmetra. Teabagging, got Fucking smash him and fucking we'll have the haggis as well, you fuckers. So, yeah, I think <laughs> in reality, I think the focus for France will be absolutely on point. But it's a tough game to, to call. And like Jim says, on form, if both teams play the best, France win. But we know this is international rugby and the weather's going to dictate. Finn Russell has got a big part to play in it. Redemption, he'll be looking for a bit of redemption. No doubt about it. He cost them... Massive game. Massive game for him. He plays and lives in Paris, drives his Lambo down the Champs-Élysées. Yeah, he got sent off in the game last year. There's so there's so many storylines around it that it's so exciting to see that. And I'm, you know, I'm with Jim. I think France by 30. Do you think Joey Carberry should start a game for Ireland against Italy or is Johnny Sixon coming straight back in there? Start him. Yeah, great. Without disrespecting Italy, it's against Italy. <laughs> I love that. Hey, that line. What I'm saying is, and I've said it before, and Jim said it many times, at some point, Sexton it will do everything he can to get to the World Cup in 2023. You have to have a backup plan. You have to have something else. And it can't just be, oh, when Johnny's fucked or when Johnny's out injured. So you have to have someone that has got a few games in their belt. Ireland come to England in round four. And I've got no doubt that Johnny Sexton, if he's fit, starts that game. So you need to give Carberry this game as well and then bring Johnny off the bench for 20 minutes. You know, the same thing around James Lowe. You know, he scored an absolute worldie at the weekend for Leinster, but he's been in and out of the team, hasn't he? He's been injured and all this stuff. So for me, Carberry's got to start. Back him. I think he played pretty well against France. 
in terms of how the game was and, and his own personal performance when that spotlight was absolutely huge on him. So, you know, they're going to rack up, you know, a 30, 40 point win you'd expect against Italy. So give Carberry the, the keys to, to start off with and then get Johnny off the bench and prep him for what's going to be a, a titanic battle against England in a couple of weeks' time at Twickenham. Let's take a look at the Guinness Match Pint predictor now then. If you want to join at home, it isn't too late. All you need to do is download the Match Pint app, join our league with the code RUGBYPOD and get your predictions in to win free pints and other great prizes as well. Ireland, Italy. I mean, how many is the real question? I'm going to go Ireland by 40. By 40? Yeah, sorry, Italy. I can just see like a, a 50 points to 10. That's what I'm saying. It's a tough one because I like to do my prediction once I've felt the week through and see the teams, what kind of team are Ireland going to put out. I'm not too sure. I'm not even answering my own rhetorical question. But I think there'll be some changes for Ireland. I think they'll reward some of the guys on the fringes. And they're going to win, obviously. But I'm going to go Ireland by 20. Five. 28. Let's round it up to 35. All right, 40 points it is. <laughs> Scotland, France. This is your moment, James. Without seeing the teams and without sensing Finn Russell and seeing him driving around Edinburgh in the Rolls Royce, I'm going France today, but it might change. It might change come the end of the week. So I'm going to go France by four. T, four, four. <laughs> but that might change. So don't call me out on match point predictor. I need to see the teams. I need to see if Fabian puts any more TikTok dances out. If he does, then I'm going Scotland by 10. Yeah, I just think France will be so focused on this now. There's a potential grand slam for them. You know, this is a, a very tough game in terms of what's happened over the last two years. Uh, France by eight. All right, and then we've got England v Wales at HQ. Closer than we think. I'll go first, Andrew, because this is your team, because you're English and all that. Of course, you are fat, bold and arrogant. Hey, I'm not bold. I'm not bold. Well, there's 15,000 reasons why you're not. <laughs> Let's just say you were. Uh, I'm... I reckon it's going to be tougher than we think for England. I think the passion and the dragon and Scott Quinnell convinced me to run through a wall in hospitality. I'm going to go England by four. Just by four. Yeah, I'm going to go England by a few more. I think England by 10. I think we'll overpower them. The tight five is the area where we'll have real dominance. And if the weather is what it is, it's a massive, massive plus for us with that tight five dominance. So yeah, England by actually more. England by 12. Confident, not arrogant. Well, that's the Six Nations action covered, but there's also an Ireland v England Legends game coming up soon, and we can have a chat now with former Ireland hooker Shane Byrne, who's captaining the Irish side. How are you, mate? Yeah, not too bad. You guys? Oh, well. Shane, it's class to have you on. Um, I need to ask you something straight. Honestly, call cool now. How much do you hate Hamish Watson? Be honest. <laughs> Some people are just easy to hate. You know what I mean? <laughs> and the reason I ask, and the reason I say that, you have had the best hair, the best mullet, arguably ever, that's ever lived, until Hamish Watson, I don't know whether because he's Scottish slash English, but he's a lion. And he arguably came through with then the best mullet we've ever seen. Is there a jealousy there or not? Are you just happy to pass it on and your style to a younger human? No, absolute rave and jealousy. Yes. Absolutely. <laughs> <laughs> uh, the attention he's getting now is, is you know, it, it, it's something that, you it, you know, I, I like to get a bit of recognition for what I did, trailblazing as it might have been. 
in the extremely fashionable sense that I had the mullet in. Look, at least somebody's carrying it on. I'm seeing great things in about mullets going on in public schools over in England at the moment. So long may it continue. Yeah, there's a fair few out there. Carl Rowe, have a look at him, London Irish winger. He's got an unbelievable mullet as well. So uh, you're definitely the trendsetter. But let's talk about the game then. Obviously, England legends against Ireland legends, you're skippering it. First and foremost, how are you getting the boots on at your age and not being in an absolute shocking state after the game? I can't think of making a tackle. I never made any tackles in my career, but geez, it must be hard. Uh, yeah, we've been short and fat, you see, has huge advantages. Uh, <laughs> very, very seldom got injured, so I'm not carrying any uh, worries. So, yeah, at the big 50 now at this stage, I will be definitely one of the oldest on the pitch. Jace is still going to get lace his boots up, he said. So we're hoping that he's going to get on the pitch again, even though the very important man that he is now. Do you know what, lads? It's still the fun of it. You know the reason that like, we were all lucky enough to have a lot of fun we're playing. I know the game is, is moved on. It mightn't be quite uh, as much of a celebration after games as we had it, but uh, this is really one of the great things about this Legends game is that it's a little snippet of that. And we have guys now who have... Never experienced that. They went straight from school to professional rugby and they've never experienced that fun and crack that we had. And we've a lot of newbies this year. Like we've like Billy Holland, Ian Keatley, Chris Henry, Tommy O'Donnell. These guys are coming in the Irish side and these guys have never experienced anything like that. So there's a lot of fun, a lot of, you know, a lot of skill to be had. We still have it. The old legs don't move as quick as they used to. But And the, the great thing is it's rolling subs. So if you're stupid enough to make a long break, you can immediately go off the pitch for a bit of oxygen. And Shane, with that, you've missed a couple of years, haven't you? I don't want to stereotype some of the big lads in the front row, but two years at home, there's probably a couple of stone being put on across the, <laughs> the board of the front rows as, as there. Well, yeah, like they say the camera adds a few pounds. I'd say it's about right with me, unfortunately. <laughs> you look great. <laughs> Are you... Yeah, look, it is it is great fun. We all do it, every one of us, every single year. Like, we're past 14 years into doing this now, and um, we've raised, touching off, one and a half million for the injured players, charities, and various other little bits and pieces over the years. It's just such good fun. It, for all of us, it's always when you turn the corner into the new year, it's like, oh, my God, the Legends games around the corner. I got to start doing something. Look at the bloody state of me. But uh, it's brilliant, and and... We have an amazing team. Arc Bermuda are the company that's that uh, support us, and they very smartly use that as the worldwide corporate event. And they host the players, and they just treat us absolutely fantastic, and really facilitate what it wants. And they don't want anything else out of it. So every bit of um, money that there is available goes to the charities, which is very very important. And the thing is, is as well as the Irish English rivalry is there you know what i mean that it still draws the crowd people still want to see it going on like there's some great guys playing like the you know you have uh, mike tindall ben foden ollie phillips dylan armitage i'm naming a lot of backs here which is a bit worrying oh there lee <laughs> lee, lee mears is in there as well go there lee you know the standards are pretty good the matches are always amazing and they're always way closer than you expect you know, the guys can still remember how to do the skills and everything like that. And it's full on. The, the tackling's full on. There's just no anger in it anymore. You know what I mean? Someone runs at you, you tackle them, you put them down and probably shove their face in the mud just for one, just for old time's sake. But uh, it's all played in good spirit and, you know, all for, as I say, a great cause. And this year in particular, 
were remembering the great Gary Halpin, you know, which was something absolutely devastating that happened during COVID. We're just over a year now since we lost him. And, you know, anybody knew Gary Halpin, he played Harlequins and, and London Irish and Leinster and Ireland and just a larger than life character, an absolute hoot to be around. The closest thing I ever came to a natural, knowing a natural comedian. He was just a fully funny guy. Everybody's going to be wearing the Gaza number three on the back. So that should confuse the hell out of the referee, which is good. It's just a big, big celebration. And I'd really encourage everybody to get the butts down to Harlequins on Friday night. Yeah, it should be good fun. Now, obviously, you say it's a celebration, you know, obviously in memory of Gary Halpin. But is there, I'm hearing that in the water bottles, there's not there's not water, there's not LucasAid, there's not any of these energy drinks. It's just straight beers in the water bottles during the game as well. That is something that I, thought, I can't work out that's an amazing thing or a really tough thing because... Uh, playing rugby and sipping a beer is, is pretty brutal, isn't it? Yeah, well, normally you have the beers for after the game. Let's just say that the beer it's insistent that the beers are in the change room before the game, just, just to, <laughs> to warm the cockles up, you know. And a few guys normally have a few little bottles just to get their blood flowing. You know what I mean? That's it, a few little uh, little shorts. So you mentioned it's at the Stoop on Friday the 11th of March. How do people get tickets for it? It's all online. Just go through the normal route through Harlequins. Uh, everything is there online. We would really encourage everyone. We're putting up really cheap prices from 10 to 15 euros. Where nobody is, we're not trying to absolutely nail people to the cross here. This is a really, really social, fun event that we want people to come down and enjoy themselves. And we always get good crowds every single year. But I'd love if, if you know, the, the people from London Irish and Harlequins in particular because of, of Gary Halpin really came out along with everyone else just to come down and celebrate this this momentous man and, and uh, the, the life and career that he had. Yeah, sounds absolutely class, Shane. And I should say, if you want to win, you know where I am. I lived in Northern Ireland for a couple of years, so I've been to Ireland, so I'm effectively Irish. <laughs> you did, actually. Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's only if you want to win, though. So you know where I am. We've had a few stray uh, honorary paddies over the years, all right. So we might we might uh, throw an old phone call your way. Just uh, Are you keeping in shape? Was COVID treating you all right? What do you think? How's the camera? Look at that neck. It's like a pencil. Yeah, no, we'll be okay, Jim. Thanks. It's all right. <laughs> <laughs> and he's English and we don't want him either because he played for Scotland so. <laughs> alright Shane thank you very much for coming on best of luck for the match sounds like you're going to need it with beers in the in the drink bottles um, best of luck against the, the England side thanks guys appreciate that class Shane cheers Shane thanks for coming on mate top, top lad. lad top mullet as well I always used to look at that and, and think I wanted to stroke it but I could never get anywhere near him and now the mullets are back in eh? it's amazing that Hamish Watson's got rid of his but mullets are back in and he's still growing his. I would if I could, I'll be honest, but I don't know whether you can have a biscuit mullet. Andrew, yes, you can. You used to have one. <laughs> I used to have one, mate, yeah. I might grow mine back now, actually, because I've got the front You bit. should. Should we do it? Should we do it for charity or not? We would look a million dollars. <laughs> I would anyway. I don't think I would. The biscuit mullet. Well, should we have a quick look at the premiership now then? London Irish kicked a last-minute penalty to beat Saracens 32-30. Are they the real deal, do you think, lads? Robbed. Hey, I cannot believe that penalty was given. Cannot believe it against Vincent Cott. Are you joking? If he does it next year, it's not a penalty, but he's at Saracens this year. <sighs> he's about two yards offside. He's way in front of the back foot. I, I get it, it's a big call, right? But what it does do is it because he's that far offside, he's a yard offside, it affects the collision, which means that Alex Ozofsky's over the top going for the turnover. So because he is that yard offside... It's definitely a penalty. Jim, they are Saracen's tinted spectacles you're looking through if you don't think that's a penalty. 
The thing is, it gets called from the assistant referee on the touchline, doesn't it? It's not the ref, Hamish Schmales, who called it. It came in from the from the touchline. So it is a big call, but it, when you look at it, anyone that doesn't think that's offside, James, is... Um... Are you kidding me? So for the masses, have a look at that. I'm, I'm not, I've not got my Saracen's testicles on. I, I mean, spectacles. I haven't got them on. I just think that that is a ridiculously big call in a fluid situation. McFarland, the number six for Saracens, gets taken past the back of the breakdown. Vincent Cox coming around the corner. He's a World Cup winner in front of the sticks. Like, he ain't offside. Yes, it doesn't matter whether he's won the World Cup, mate. He's a wasp next year. Next year, that's not a penalty, I'm telling well, you. Well, there we go. Well, well England, England should have beat Scotland, apparently. <laughs> England should have beat Scotland a few weeks ago. Fair play to London Irish is all I'm going to say. They're a team that we speak about on here. We've had Nick Phipps. We've spoken about how well Paddy Jackson's played for them. The Australian contingent that they've got. Curtis Rona, hell of a name. London Irish, and I don't know historically what the score lines have been, are a bogey team for Saracens. Well, they were when I was there. But I have this thing in my head that the way that London Irish play, Saracens struggle with it. And you look how the game started, Saracens struggled with it. It obviously went down to the wire. It was a big call with a penalty at the end. London Irish, off the back of the performance, and Saracens didn't play that well. Joe Shaw mentioned it after the game, especially the first half. Didn't start playing well until 15, 20 minutes to go, which was too late. But I think... The balls that London Irish show to play against the Saracens defence like that, trying to get it through the bat line, taking the ball to the line, getting into the outside channels, it's credit to the way that they want to play rugby. And there's all this talk out there about them being in top four. Hugo Monio made a big statement saying that he thinks they're title contenders. Off the back of that performance against a nearly fully loaded Saracens team, I kind of agree, I reckon, that the style of rugby they play, because they can score tries and they can score from anywhere and they've got a good pack and they're physical all the attributes you need, and they've got experience in key positions. Uh, so a lucky win, but a good win for them. What do you make of Adam Coleman's red card and the afters with Nick Tompkins? Yeah, I mean, Jim, you're probably better talking about this than me because he's six for eight. And to be fair, Alex Lewington has made a hell of a break. He skinned the best mullet in the Premiership in Carl Rowe around the outside, and then he's weaving his way up the touchline. He stepped back inside, and let's be fair, Adam Coleman is... Six foot eight, six foot nine. He's a big unit, right? And he's covering across, trying to make a tackle. Literally running like, that's Mr. Gilmore's jacket, like Jim used to, but a lot faster. And in reality, if you watch the collision, he doesn't try and bang him in the head. So that there's a difference here between, and I'm not sticking up for him. It's a straight red card, bottom line. But when you're that big, that tall, and you're covering across and a winger puts some footwork on you, if you look at the collision, it's actually just unfortunate. His head's in the wrong position and you know he's eight foot six and he, he struggles to get down. It's a red card letter of the law. And he gets sparked properly himself uh, in the tackle and he's out cold before he hits the deck. Obviously, the afters with Nick Tompkins, you know, Adam Coleman's out cold on the deck and Nick Tompkins runs up to him calling him a, a fucking see you next Tuesday. That's just not on either, is it? Yeah, and I know Tompkins is a, yeah, Jim, you know him pretty well. He's a, he's a, he's a lovely lad, but he, he's competitive on the field, isn't he? But there is that level of screaming in a... In a in a player's face who's out cold on the floor, who's made, a, when you see the replay, a bit of a mistake as opposed to a, a deliberate act of trying to maim someone in the face, you know, I think was was a bit harsh from Tompkins. I think you're underplaying it there. A bit harsh. I thought he was bang out of order, really. I mean, you look at the collision, like you just said then, it was an accident. In terms of the, the framework and the dynamics and, and how it happened, so I thought Nick was bang out of order to speak, speak to him like that. He's obviously, like you just mentioned, he was asleep before he hit the floor. I, again, obviously from seeing it and being in that position and being tall 
complete accident. Goody Wasps left themselves a little bit too much to do in the second half, didn't they? Yeah, they did. And credit to Quinns. Yeah, Wasps didn't help themselves. Yeah, first try, I think uh, there was a bit of an error at the back between Palo and Dogroot. He ends up knocking the ball on and then just holding on to it on the floor. And and then the one thing you do, again, this is what I don't get, the one thing you know, playing against Quinns, and Jim mentioned Danny Kerr before, Danny Kerr's on fire. He's been on fire for a few years now. How he's not in the England squad uh, is beyond me, but I know why he's not in the England squad because he had a row with Eddie Jones because Eddie Jones wouldn't pick him in the first team. But form dictates he should be. Any team playing against Harlequins, whether it's Danny Kerr at nine, whether it's Scott Steele at nine, whether it's any of the academy kids at nine, you get given a penalty, you don't just hand the ball over basically Danny Kerr picks up the ball tap and go all the Wasp players are like what's happening here try in the corner and that's how it started so you know Wasps were off the pace for the first sort of 45-50 minutes Quinns were good Quinns had a few questions to answer themselves because they've lost a few on the spin now and it's always around the Six Nations thing I know they had Joe Marler back but yeah Quinns played pretty well Lester Hazen was good again and then Wasps uh, did what Wasps have done they did exactly the same extra a few weeks ago they gave them a lead and then they ended up scoring two tries in the last sort of couple of minutes to win it. But this time they got a try right at the death to get a losing bonus point. And now good to see Jack Willis back. Yeah. Anyone that remembers that incident in the Six Nations last year where you hear the scream, you hear, you see the, the shape of his knee and knowing that he'd already come back from an ACL previously to that as well. And I've chatted to him. I've interviewed him a few times at Wasps pre-match in the Andy Good Suite. Such a lovely guy. We've had him on the podcast he must have been to some horrifically dark places over those two major injuries. And to see him bounce back, and I've been bantering him at Wasp saying, oh, you know, give us a date when you're back. And he wouldn't tell anyone, wouldn't say anything. So it's actually a bit of a surprise to me to see how quickly he's got back. It's over a year, 53 weeks, I think it is, since that injury. So it's great to see him back. He is a quality operator. And then you just hope now he can get a load of rugby down his neck before the end of the season, stay fit and get back to the levels that he's playing at. Because he is an unbelievable player when he's fully fit. And Newcastle, they were down to 14 men for 55 minutes, but still almost beat Exeter. But I guess like the big takeaway is, what did you make of Dean Richards' comments after the game? I could barely watch the game. <laughs> it was bad, wasn't it? It was bad. Well, I, I didn't, I, I'll be honest. I watched a bit of it and then I was like, I can't, you know, this is dreadful. And then I tweeted Summer Rugby and just let Twitter do its thing. That was the takeaway from it. I mean, what more do you want to say? And obviously Big Dean has come out and said that he's not happy with the decisions. Or has he asked us to judge or the players to judge? He's asked someone to judge. I think he'll end up getting judged for his comments, won't he? In terms of Prem Rugby will step in and, you know, he'll be held to account by the RFU, I think. And and, and to be fair to Dino, listen, I'm not going to get into a debate around every single decision because I think that's what he was saying around the players in the change rooms are saying it was the favouritism for Exeter and all that stuff. And once you say those words, it's a bit, you question the integrity of the referee then, aren't you? Which is... A no-no completely. You you can make a mistake as a referee, but once you bring into the sphere of an interview saying, you you know, was the favouritism, you're then questioning the honesty and integrity. But where Dino's got it massively wrong, and, you know, I love Dino from my my early days at Leicester to my last contract at Newcastle, where he's claiming that Callum Chick shouldn't have been sent off for that hit. Josh Hodge, supposedly in Dino's eyes, sinks six to eight inches. He doesn't. He drops an inch, two inches, Three inches tops. We know Dino's comparables to inches, though. We know how he uses that <laughs> yardstick. <laughs> we do. And his inch is different to our inch. Yeah, you're right. So I think in reality, he's got that one massively wrong around Callum Chick's red card. It's a red card every day of the week. Callum Chick absolutely blitzes Hodge in the face with his shoulder. And Lister got their first win at the Rick against Bath for, what was it, 11 years? 
Been a while. It's a tough place to go and play. Historically, well, one of the most historic games in English rugby. And it's been a tough place for Leicester to go. The old Leicester to go. 11 years, Andy Rowe, you mentioned it. And impressed with Leicester. And again, you look at the profile of their team. Nemanja Nandolo, friend of the show. Freddie Burns, friend of the show. Jasper Visa, friend of mine. Montoja, uh, Hooker, Wigglesworth, friend of the show. Not because they're friends of the show, but because they're bloody good players. The backbone of that team during the Six Nations, and you can talk about recruitment, you can talk about whatever you want, but they've just got a bloody good team. I actually thought Bath played the best they played all season in large parts to it. They, they, they looked energetic, they were excited, they, they tried to put the ball through the hands and there wasn't much in it. I mean, well, there was four points in it, wasn't there? But they didn't get hammered, do you know what I mean? And I thought, I thought Leicester played really well. Dan Kelly in the centre was brilliant and Freddie Burns was outstanding again. And that's you know, we had Freddie Burns on the podcast, didn't we? And him going back to Leicester and everything around that, thinking that George Ford was going to be away with England. He wasn't, now he is. And he's getting his opportunity. Worth his weight in gold is our good friend Freddie Burns. And uh, massive win for Leicester and they keep marching on, don't they? I'm dead chuffed for Freddie Burns because we've had him on here and we know that he felt he wasn't treated particularly well by Stuart Hooper at Bath. Yeah, there's nothing better than being Freddie Burns. Going back to your boyhood club where you didn't feel you got a fair crack after the you know the coaches changed and Stuart Hooper took over, uh, scoring a try, I thought he played really well. Kept his composure and kept you know his emotions in check because it had meant a lot to him that I think. So yeah, really tough for him. Bath, as we know, they're going to get better. They've had a horrific season. They can't get relegated. So that you know the youngsters, the Glanville and the Jomo and these sorts of guys, Orlando Bailey looks good. Just give them, keep giving them more experience. Keep getting them to play in a way that suits them, and they'll come good. Not for this season because their season's basically over, but. You know, the experience that they'll get from these tough defeats and learnings from it um, will be a big thing. Right, well, let's finish things off then with the good, the bad and the ugly. Yeah, plenty of good. Um, we're going to start off, we spoke about it earlier, the Six Nations making a statement saying that they weren't going to add the Springboks. That gives Italy a little bit of hope for the future. I just like the leadership around it, basically putting the story to bed straight away. So credit to the Six Nations for doing that. Let's go over to the URC. We touched on a bit of premiership action. There were some URC games as well and the great, Simon Zebo scoring a hat-trick on fire and absolutely dismantling Edinburgh single-handedly. Hashtag always Edinburgh. Hashtag where are you? Hashtag Simon Zebo gets a hat-trick, Jim. Well, do we need to be horrible? Yeah, let's say it. Simon Zebo looked like he'd eaten the Edinburgh team and he still did them. So. <laughs> whoa, whoa, whoa. Very good. I'm joking. I'm joking. He looks big. He looks muscly. He looks strong and certainly powerful. So we do love Zebes. I'd love to see him play for Ireland again. Imagine the passion. Imagine how happy he'd be. So big shout out to Zebes who's eating the Edinburgh team on the pitch. He's eating them up. Mate, you're horrible. Uh, what else was good? We go over to uh, Super Rugby. James O'Connor made his 100th Super Rugby appearance 13 years after making his debut this weekend. So tip of the slipper to James O'Connor. Talking about international players, Duan van der Merwe is going to get a mention. And Worcester Warriors as a whole. Uh, Friday night lights at Worcester Warriors, they dismantled... Bristol, I say dismantled, they beat Bristol. Duan van der Merwe was on fire, turning in a big performance for the Warriors in a fallow week. Obviously, he's played back-to-back Six Nations games. He's gone back Friday night, earned his corn and earned his coin at Worcester. 12 carries, 93 metres, 10 defenders beaten. He was physical and the wheels on him as well. He's deceptively bloody quick, isn't he, Jim? Yeah, he is. Everyone's quick to me, but yeah, he, he's very quick. You know, and he's, and he's hungry as well. And that was the big thing, wasn't it, around going to Worcester. Whether or not you're just going for the money, let's be honest. I mean, it's a nice place to live down there. But 
he's rocked up in the fallow week, which is tough to go and play, especially having been beaten by Wales. And he weren't great against Wales. I said it's probably his worst performance. And he was one of the best players on the pitch. Yeah, he was scoring a try as well. So big shout out to Duan van der Merwe. Uh, we mentioned it earlier, Leicester Tigers got their first away win down at Bath for 11 years. Freddie Burns and Jasper Visa were the stars of the show down there. So tip of the slipper to the Tigers boys. London Irish going to get a mention. They're on a roll. Beat Saracens 32-30. They're right in the mix for the top four. So hell of a performance from those boys. Premiership Rugby are going to get a mention in the good this week, James. As a collective, all six matches were very close encounters and every game finished within seven points. So every team at least got a losing bonus point. So 18 points was the total that separated the teams across the six games this weekend, which was the second closest Premiership weekend ever. So uh, some good stuff there, some competitive games, and it shows that anyone can beat anyone on their day, James. Yeah, But the good this week can only go to one man, one place, and I've always got to get one of my old teams in. So we mentioned him earlier. Great to see Jack Willis back on the field fit. It was a horrific injury. Some people called it a career ender for sure. But 53 weeks out and he's back after the horrific knee injury that he got against Italy in last year's Six Nations. Really pleased for him. So the goo this week goes to Jack Willis and all the physios at Wasps for getting him fit. Class to see him back. The bad, a few bits of bad. We mentioned Duan van der Merwe in the good for Worcester, but the bad, we're going to start off with Bristol's. They looked really poor against Worcester on Friday night. Yes, Worcester made them look bad, but in attack, the errors, it was really a massively underwhelming performance. So there's something seriously wrong there, isn't there, Jim? Clearly. It was their attack that got me, but this is your section, mate, so I don't want to go too hard at people because <laughs> this is your section. You've already gone hard at Zebo for some reason, so I thought you might want to go hard at Bristol's. But yeah, they get a mention of the bad. Uh, what else is bad? Toulouse get a mention of the bad again this week. Uh, another defeat. That's now six on the spin, the top 14 for the first time ever, and they're only playing against 13 men. They lost to Poe, uh, po, Jim. Poe, not Poe, Poe. I didn't see it. They lost to Poe. I mean, old Poe, did they? They did, and Poe had two players sent off as well. So they were down to 13 men. They couldn't beat 13 men. So, uh, yeah, Toulouse get another mention of the bad this week. Sticking in France. Now, friend of the show, the Biritz owner, won't be Appa. Biritz took 65 points away at Stade Francais, and Stade Francais have been near the bottom of the top 14 for large parts of this season. Who takes 65 away from home, Jim? Not me. Well, Saracens did a few years back, didn't they? No, it was 50, but I mean, round, round, round it down to 40, so no. I think it was 62, but there we go. Yeah, Biritz get mentioned the bads taking 65 points away at Stade Francais. Another team not doing so well at the minute, the Dragons. The Recycler. The Recycler. Well, it wasn't his fault. The Recyclers, I think he's the defence coach, but they were left scoreless at home against Ulster. Only the third time ever in their history that they've been held scoreless at Rodney Parade. Losing 12-0. The Dragons, I mean, how bad are they? Classic. It's a classic 12-0. But then the bad goes to the news this week that we've seen. Two bits of bad news around the rugby world. First and foremost, Mark Wilson having to retire at the age of 32 from a knee injury. Played by Wilson at Newcastle. Hell of a bloke. Came into the England squad. Very unassuming. The most hard-working player I've probably ever played with. It's very sad to see him retire. But other bad news this weekend, and very sad news actually, uh, was the death of Steve Black at the age of 64. He had a massive impact in and around rugby across many people, many teams, uh, a real inspirational character, someone, and I quote Steve Black, he said, if you want to have a burger the night before a game because it makes you feel good, you have a burger the night before a game. So Steve Black, in your memory, I did that quite a few times and I shall do it again tonight. So uh, yeah, thoughts with Steve Black's family. Yeah, absolutely. Legend. Just have a look online, you'll see the amount of outpouring of emotion and love for the man. So yeah, thinking of Steve Black's family today. 
And then the ugly. A few bits of ugly to get through. We're going to start off with Adam Coleman. Bit of an accident. Looked bad. His tackle. But then it was an unfortunate collision. But following on from that, Nick Tonkins' reaction. We spoke about it earlier. Calling him a fucking see you next Tuesday a few times as he's out cold on the floor. Wasn't a good look. And I'm actually surprised that the referee didn't take any action. And Simbin, Nick Tompkins at all for that. But um, yeah, a really bad look. Both the tackle itself and Nick Tompkins' reaction. Both very ugly. Callum Chick. His red card hit on Josh Hodge was pretty bad. Straight shoulder to the face with force. Straight red card, no question about it, even though Dino has questioned it. But then two bits of ugly. We mentioned it earlier. Poe, I mean Poe, Jim, had two players sent off on Saturday. Vatabua, the centre, was sent off for a head-on-head tackle on Santiago Choco Barres for Toulouse. A horrific tackle. Not even got the ball, just planted his head on him. Some people called it an assault. I wouldn't go that far, but it was pretty ugly. The Argentinian was nowhere near even having the ball, so uh, pretty bad. But then Tamua Manu, his centre partnership, goes one further, and he was sent off for punching Albert Placine in the face in the same game. So absolutely ridiculous. Shocking from the centres for, for Poe. You boys collectively get the ugly this week. Thanks, Goody. And you guys have got a couple of shout-outs to finish off with, don't you? Yeah, we do. Uh, I've got a massive shout-out to Ollie Hayes, who's a ex-teammate of mine and a mate from back in the Worcester days. He's doing a 24-hour weightlifting session in the gym on the 11th of March in memory of his brother, Abe Pratton, who would have turned 25 that day. Uh, it's all in aid of Help for Heroes as well, which is a fantastic cause. He's raised over three grand already, and you can check out his fundraising page at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Abraham Pratton if you want to help Ollie out. Amazing thing he's doing to lose your brother in that way is pretty horrific. So uh, massive shout out to Ollie Hayes. Yeah, good luck, Ollie. And a big shout out to Seamus Wren from his own son, actually, Evan, and his daughter, Keelan, and wife, Tanya. Seamus was diagnosed with leukemia cancer back in 2018 at the age of 36. He's decided to take up a cycle to keep himself occupied during lockdown, and he's now training to cycle the length of Ireland in the Malin to Mizzen cycle, which takes place from the 5th of May to the 8th of May this year. It's 640 kilometres and it starts in Donegal and ends in Cork. All funds raised will be donated to Cystic Fibrosis Island and you can donate at justgiving.com forward slash fundraising forward slash Seamus dash Ren. So big shout out to you, Seamus. Yeah, good luck to Seamus. And one final shout out to James Metcalf from Guinness as well, who's moving on. He's been a massive supporter of the podcast from day dot in terms of our early days. Thanks to him, we started doing live shows with Guinness. He's a great bloke. He's worked exceptionally hard with the pod, with Guinness. And we just want to appreciate him and thank him for all the support that he's given us. So good luck, James, and drink responsibly. Matt going to miss James, friend of the show, long-serving friend, and hell of a bush, I imagine. So drink responsibly, James, <laughs> and sort that bush out now you're leaving. Thanks, Goody. Thanks, Jim. Thanks, producer Tristan, and thank you very much for listening. Don't forget to check us out on YouTube as well. Make sure you've subscribed on Spotify. Rugby spot. Spot a pod, 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 pod. Uh-huh.